Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levero Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Today, my guest is Anant Tapedia from BitHive. Now, he's also working with the team at Bitcoin for India. So this is a community organization trying to spread the good Bitcoin education around there in terms of networking some of the different meetups together, as well as putting on a conference called Bitcoin for India. Now, I'm going to be doing a speech for them just virtually coming up soon and just wanted to chat with Anant a little bit about the scene in India, as well as chat about the conference. And hopefully people out there can help get the word out there to any Indian friends they have or any relatives so that they can know about Bitcoin for India. Now, this show is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite make a range of Bitcoin hardware security products. Now, one that's quite relevant for India would potentially be the Tap Signer. So the Tap Signer is a lower cost device, currently around $40. This is an NFC-enabled device, and you can use it with phone apps such as Nunchuck using NFC. So that makes it really slick and easy, and it's at a lower cost point or price point compared to, say, the Cold Guard, which is an excellent device also. So there are all kinds of options which you can find over at CoinKite. For example, if you want the new version of the Open Dime, try the Sats card, which you can also use NFC for. So go and check it out. All the products are over at CoinKite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount on your Cold Cards. The lead sponsor of this show is Swan Bitcoin, and Swan makes it easy to learn about Bitcoin and also buy Bitcoin. Swan makes various resources available freely for the community. So, for example, you can get a free copy of Inventing Bitcoin by going to swan.com slash free book. Swan has also a range of resources in relation to Swan's canon. So you can see various rabbit holes. For example, there's a privacy one, there's a security one, there are some generalized ones, all kinds of resources that are available for you to start stacking Bitcoin with Swan. Some of that educational content can also help guide you or coach you on the way dealing with the volatility of Bitcoin. So you can find all of this over at swan.com. For those looking for a software wallet for Bitcoin and Liquid, Green is Blockstream's industry-leading Bitcoin and Liquid wallet. It has powerful features such as multi-signature security, full node verification, and Tor support. Blockstream Green offers the option to secure the wallet using the multi-signature shield, where one key is held on your device and another is held on Blockstream's servers. And you have a two-factor authentication before Blockstream will sign using their key. Also, you have time locks or a third backup key to ensure that you retain full ownership of your funds. Blockstream Green also includes integration with hardware wallets such as Blockstream Jade, Ledger, or Trezor devices, so you can have the best of both worlds. Cold storage combined with the full suite of features and security that Blockstream Green offers. It's available for iOS, Android, or desktop, so you can get that over at blockstream.com green. And now onto the show with Anant. Hey Anant, welcome to the show. Hey Stephen, how are you? Yeah, doing well. I'm actually here in Prague right now for uh, for another conference, um, but chatting with you about a bunch of things, uh, the the Bitcoin scene in India, as well as you know what you're working on uh, in terms of projects and uh, software in the space, as well as uh, Bitcoin for India. So uh, do you want to just give a brief background on yourself? I know you maybe you're not super well known in the uh, in the English speaking Bitcoin world. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not definitely not super well known. Uh, but yeah, um, so my name is Anant, uh, um, and I've been um, working on Bitcoin stuff, Bitcoin software for the last four or five years. Um, started off with doing some Lightning, you know, projects on the side, and then got interested into actually going in full time into Bitcoin. And I think 
um, that is where where my journey started and uh, uh, you know the journey of hexa wallet which was our first app um, started a few years back so i've been working in this uh, space as in the bitcoin you know building on bitcoin space for the last few years and then um, uh, fast forward to 2022 we have launched another app keeper so so yeah that's in nutshell my story great yeah and let's chat a little bit about the bitcoin scene in india because uh, as i understand it's it's had its ups and downs over the years especially with the rbi's comments and the government comments around bitcoin and quote unquote crypto do you want to just give us a a flavor of what's the bitcoin scene in india like so the bitcoin scene in india is not like fixed as in it, it's different what it was six months back and different from what it was one year back um, in short it has been evolving and rapidly changing as you have alluded to um, uh, not just because of bitcoin itself and the bitcoin uh, you know bitcoin community i will talk talk about that in a second but also because of uh, the other pieces in the whole landscape for example the regulatory landscape for example what's happening in the payment space with upi UPI 2.0, ERP and all that. So it's very, um, and even the crypto space. So all these, you know, all these pieces moving together makes the whole um, scene very interesting. Um, so yeah, that's 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 how uh, how the Bitcoin scene in India looks like. Could you just tell us a little bit about uh, how you're trying to grow the meetup scene? So the meetup scene, so uh, the, the the platform Bitcoin for India is uh, not something which which is like, years old which started in february with a single meetup and uh, there was no uh, there was no like uh, like a roadmap or a plan that okay we, this is what we are going to do in the in the next 5 years but it was more around the need for bitcoiners to meet each other and there was no bitcoin only platform in india and uh, we having a bunch of developers in india and a lot of people we know we said you know what why not why don't we do a meetup and see how it goes so we did the first meetup in february right this year just eight months back and since then a lot of people have come up from different cities in india and they've said okay we want to conduct a, a meetup do you want to tell us how it works so we get on a twitter space or we have a you know quick phone call conversation we tell them what worked for us what did not work for us and we just help them you know promote their local uh, meetup so it's mostly driven very locally as it should be um, it has been happening for, across, you know, at least 10 cities in India by now, I suppose. And maybe 15 or 20 meetups have, have happened since then. So it's very grassroots. It's not something, um, you know, we can we can say where is it going to be the next one. People come up, uh, come out of the woodworks. That's uh, that's another thing that that's happening with Bitcoin for India. A lot of Bitcoiners are coming out of the woodworks that we didn't even know existed. And they're just getting connected to each other, you know, having meetups, you know, talking about interesting stuff that they are working on Twitter spaces. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how that scene is evolving. That's great to see. And I might just comment as well that I'm seeing this happen in other places around the world also, that we're starting to see the rise of more Bitcoin-only meetup groups, especially in various countries around the world where maybe historically there hasn't been a strong Bitcoin scene. Um, so maybe that's something that's happening this cycle. So that's uh, great to see, certainly. And I guess India, obviously, is an important country, over 1 billion people, uh, you know, over 1 billion Indians out there. And I'm sure even with those 10 or 15 cities, that's we're talking millions and millions of people who now have some kind of local Bitcoin-only meetup group in their area so what kinds of topics have you seen uh, the meetup groups 
cover as their made up topics so i wouldn't be able to do justice to exactly all of them but i can you know recollect some of them because they are just like independently held i have been to a few of them but obviously uh, india is such a big country um so so it, the the topics really vary from uh, you know technical uh, from a very technical topic in in cities like bangalore where where it's a, it's like a tech hub to a, a very different uh, local language based very non tech uh, topics in a very different city so it has varied a lot uh, but it covers the typical spectrum or the typical gamut of what we bitcoiners typically talk about it's around uh, austrian economics it's a, around bitcoin philosophy it's about bitcoin network it's about you know building on bitcoin and stuff like that uh, we have we have never had a reason or the need or anyone say okay we want to talk about bitcoin trading we obviously don't encourage that either as in the, you know there are many more important things to learn for in bitcoin before you get to how to make money um but that's not something people have asked for either so so it has been very encouraging to see how people have asked for the topics that they want to learn and it has been um uh, very positive in terms of the speakers who have come up in those uh, local places and uh, you know spoken about those topics yeah that's cool to see and so i'm also curious if you could add any comment in terms of what you know about the p2p trading scene in india are people uh doing that i mean from what i understand in various cities around the world there might be some telegram chat room or a whatsapp chat group or various chat rooms where people might coordinate like this or in other cases they're using platforms like bisk or things like hodl hodl uh you know, things like this could you just explain a little bit about what the p2p scene is like in india so honestly even the p2p scene in general if we talk about p2p in general has been way older and much wider than bitcoin the the whole concept of p2p trading when it comes to either using cash or using gold um, and these other you know methods of payments have been have been widespread and have always existed in india for a long time right so people are used to do p2p trading people are used to have uh, you know asset that that are bearer instruments so which they hold themselves right like gold and cash and then they understand what is self custody of those assets so even they if they don't put it on those terms it is basically self custody when you have cash with in your pocket or gold in your house or uh, you know on your neck then that is basically self custody right so the the whole concept of self custody is where p2p trading really works and uh, if you look around there's a, if you look at the you know stats uh, cash as a as a means of uh, payment has as a as a huge percentage in india so peer peer to peer trading has always existed now when it comes to bitcoin if you really try to map it uh, it is very it is very obvious and a very um, uh, something that Bit- indians know how to use and they are very comfortable with it peer to peer trading they may or may not use a specific platform like bisk or uh, something else but one thing i know that uh, if someone wants to buy bitcoin with cash in india the buyer or seller will be are much more comfortable just you know walking up to each other and doing that as compared to as compared to any other country when i was in uk or you know us or any other country so that happens a lot so it's not really something that you can measure but just by just anecdotally and just by knowing the nature of indians we know that uh, peer to peer trading is quite uh, quite prevalent in india and as i understand also 
historically platforms like local bitcoins were quite popular just around the world and I, perhaps in recent years i hear that there's a lot of use of platforms like paxful or binance peer-to-peer seems to be quite popular also in some countries so for example in sri lanka i know paxful used to be the most popular platform and from what i've heard recently it seems binance peer-to-peer seems to be the most popular platform at least in sri lanka uh, i'm curious do you hear about people using those kinds of platforms also Yes, yes, absolutely. So Paxful and uh, Binance uh, peer-to-peer or Wazirx as it is, you know, the part, uh, the counterparty over here um, is called. So yes, that is the most common institutional peer-to-peer platform in India. But I bet the non-platform-based peer-to-peer trading is uh, much more in India. But yeah, these two platforms are very well known. I see. And then, yeah, in terms of the level of education that people have, would you say... I don't know if you have any comment on that. Like, is it that people sort of like, as an example, if you talk to an average person in some countries around the world, they might see Bitcoin, oh, it's a bit like a gambling thing, or it's a bit like, you know, or they might associate it with scams. Is there a similar perception if you talk to just say, if you talk to the average man on the street, what's the perception he would have of Bitcoin? So, uh, yeah, it is not very different from the rest of the world, but they most likely compare it to, okay, this is like UPI or this is like one of the apps I have, wallet I have on the phone. So they have uh, the, the anchor for them is comparing it to the UPI wallets that they have, right? Which is, which as you know, is uh, very widespread in India and people use it yeah. a lot. Actually, actually, just on this, could you just, just explain what is UPI for people who don't know? What's UPI? So UPI is a universal payment interface. Um, I think it was launched in 2016, took off very well. The, the reason UPI took off very well in India is not because... Obviously, there were technical aspects to it, but also because the identity system in India is uh, fortunately or unfortunately uh, very well developed. So they have this system called Aadhaar and uh, all your Aadhaar cards, um, which is your unique identifier, as in, you know, your uh, social security number, something like that is associated with your bank account. And that is not just associated with your bank account. It is widely used for everything from, you know, buying cars to Whatever you want to do, it's associated with your ID. Now, with with that other card, there's a phone number also which is associated with your your you know your bank account. So the combination of uh, the phone number, the bank account, and other card, other uh, linked together, makes it very easy to have some kind of a universal payment interface. So what really happens in UPI is it is essentially an intra-bank transfer that you can do just with the help of your mobile number, right? Because your mobile phone number is linked to your bank and let's say, you know, your phone number is linked to your bank. When I uh, send a message, essentially it's a messaging system, but when a message goes that, okay, this person, this particular phone number has authorized a payment of, let's say, 1000 rupees to Stephen's phone number, this from your bank, then the banks know that this is authenticated. I have my phone. So it works very seamlessly. And uh, uh, if you look at the stats again, then the numbers are really skyrocketing. In fact, if you look at what uh, what the government has done, they have quickly moved from UPI to UPI 2.0, which was launched in 2018. And they are now even talking about UPI 3.0, which is going to incorporate stuff like NFC, which is going to incorporate stuff like offline payments. So if you want to make small payments, it can be offline. So it is a super convenient mechanism. But what that is doing is because it is super convenient, people are just using it without thinking. 
it is also increasing the centralization of you know the payments and every single thing you do now uh, over upi is not just recorded by that payment company but obviously that record is also available for anyone else to use and exploit so that 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 part is obviously not very clear to people because they go for convenience and yes that is upi and you know upi 2.0 and the evolution of upi essentially gotcha and with upi then i'm curious then does that also play into even the way people peer to peer trade bitcoin like as an example let's say i was an indian and i had upi 2.0 would you and I be doing like peer-to-peer trade and I might be like, oh, hey, Anant, I'm going to give you 50 rupees on UPI too and you pay me that amount in sats and that's kind of how people might do things? Absolutely. So uh, even if you look at uh, some of the trade uh, trades that have been advertised in like RoboSats or Paxful, um, sorry, um, on uh, Bix and others, uh, you would see that the person is saying, okay, the payment has to be in UPI. So UPI is a very convenient mechanism and if you are okay with it being uh, peer-to-peer but uh, not as private, then people do use it very often. And even in personal case, you might use it because you don't have to put in there that I have bought sats with it, right? So using it for small amounts with with another peer, uh, it's completely, you know, something which people do all the time. I see. Yeah. So yeah, in a way, we've, we're seeing that around the world. I know uh, I'm not in Australia anymore, but a few years ago, they came out with this thing called NPP, National Payments Platform. And that enabled all these instant payments between various banks. And in a similar way, you would have what was called a pay ID. And that would be linked to either an email or a phone linked to your Australian bank account and the same kind of thing you would send. And in the US, I know there's Zelle, which is very popular. And that's linked. That's like a really quick, instant way to do things. And I know even, for example, with BISC, there are people doing let's say Zelle transfers to do Bitcoin transfers. So that's another way. So it's interesting to see the way this has all evolved as well, because in earlier years, in years gone by, in the earlier years of Bitcoin, one of the arguments used to be, oh, see, your bank is closed nine to five and you have to wait three to five days for a transfer. Whereas what's happened now is the fiat system has upped its game in terms of convenience. Obviously, we're still losing money in terms of inflation and there's still all the surveillance and the control and arguably the surveillance and the control is becoming worse and worse. But then it makes it a little bit more challenging from a Bitcoin advocate's point of view. Of course, you still have to make that case about you know no inflation and not being controlled. I'm also curious if you could add any color, any commentary for listeners on the war on cash. Is the Indian government or Indian governments, are they conducting a war on cash? What's the situation like there? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. But just to go on the previous one, um, you're, you're very right. Because if you talk to people about uh, banks being closed and, you know, banks only working 9 to 5, they'll probably laugh at you. No one goes to the banks nowadays anyway, right? They either use an ATM, which is open 24 hours so they can get cash out, or they use, uh, you know, UPI or some other online payment mechanism to uh, pay each other. So the whole idea of banks being, uh, banks only working 9 to 5 is not that strong. Obviously, you have to explain them that what that really means, because what you really have with UPI and any of these payment mechanisms, you have a quote allowed limit that within this limit, if you do like, for example, 10,000 or 1 lakh rupees or some decent amount of limit, you are below the risk. But you cannot do, you know, unlimited amount of payment and you can't take out unlimited amount of cash and stuff like that. So that, so instead of every single transaction being approved and therefore taking time, they have given you a limit of pre-approved transaction, right? So it is essentially still the same control system, right? But to make it convenient for small payments, they have given you like a, like a, 
you know limit white list limit that if you don't go beyond this point uh, you are okay to you are okay to do it yeah so that's that's how that's how uh, the whole convenience piece is uh, developing and that is also impacting cash right so so coming to the cash point the the use of cash has been like i said was very um is still very prevalent in india but with the rise of uh, uh, with the rise of these payment mechanisms and uh, the e rupee which we have not spoken about which which is going to be uh, much more of an attack on cash uh, the use of cash has gone down right so the use of cash as a as a convenience piece cash is convenient i take it out i give it to you i take it out of my pocket i give it to you, it's done right i don't have to use a bank account number and all that so cash was convenient but with the availability of upi and uh, you know a lot of other people a lot of people having their mobile phones with them all the time anyway that convenience factor of cash has gone down however there are a lot of people who use cash um, you know just because they want to be more private and uh, that that scene has not changed so use of cash for privacy reasons not for convenience reasons is still intact in fact i would say slightly growing uh with all the with all the all the all the centralization happening in the other side of the things so that that is slightly growing while the convenience piece and the you know that you know the petty cash cash transaction volume is definitely decreasing so it's it's like uh, it's like a subtle way and one other point i've seen and we are hearing about in various countries around the world is they are starting to restrict how much foreign ca- currency you're allowed to hold so in various countries like for a long time china has had this i think no more than 50000 rmb something like this i know for example in sri lanka you're not allowed to have more than 5000 usd and uh, there are various ways that they are restricting your ability to use foreign currency because they want to keep you holding their bags so i'm curious is that a similar situation happening with the indian rupee like are there is there a sort of clamping of control in terms of how much foreign currency you can hold or what the banks there will permit you to do based on what the central banks or the government has said yeah i i i definitely know that there is a limit i don't know what limit it is um sure. so there is definite limit of the amount of foreign currency you can hold or use while traveling but it hasn't changed in recent times right so it has been the same for a while and probably that's why i don't remember what is the exact number because when it changes and maybe it eventually will um it will be one of those things see the the real um, that, that mostly happens in countries where uh, there are capital controls in place right where we, you know the government wants yeah. to avoid capital outflow that's not really the case with india in india post especially post you know 1992 uh you know the rupee is is not really fixed so so there is and there is uh, there's a, obviously the the rate of rupee as compared to dollar or pounds or yen changes like any other currency and therefore there's no real um, real way for actually people to uh, people to you know for government to have capital controls they don't want it want that either so that's not um, that much applicable to india gotcha and on the e rupee can you tell us a little bit about this is this like a predecessor to the cbdc or what exactly is the e rupee what are the implications then for bitcoin as well yeah so upi and you know the the uh, the success of it uh, meant that you know e rupee was 
or CBDC probably would be uh, further down the line. But what E rupee is, E rupee is essentially, as far as I understand, it's not yet live. But E rupee is in pilot. It's basically something which is like a prepaid voucher. So you get a prepaid voucher, and it is a purpose and services dependent voucher. So what that means is that you might get that voucher, and you may be only able to use for you know for taking a vaccine. you might not be able to use it for anything else so with this whole infrastructure around wallets that has been uh, wallets and the communication between wallets and the upi messaging that has developed uh, putting in uh, putting in a prepaid purpose built purpose uh, purpose specific voucher which is e rupee is not a big deal so you get a qr code or an sms which is essentially your prepaid card or prepaid you know voucher but when you go to avail it it can only be availed by certain services right so yeah. government might use it for subsidizing stuff they might use it for you know encouraging you to spend in a, in a very specific way so it is you know it is that kind of um, control that it le- lets the government have yeah gotcha and as i understand this is sort of reminding me of a system in the us i believe it's called ebt electronic benefits transfer and it's basically it's it's kind of, it's a type of money where the person can only shop at a specific stores and so it sort of reminds me a bit like that and you, we can see obviously the parallels and what's going on in terms of the implication for freedom right because if they're going to start putting money out or types of money that can only be spent in certain ways it almost becomes like this uh, very controlled economy it's this uh, like this kind of very specific gift voucher if you will as opposed to broad speaking money yeah this has been a nightmare forever right if cbdc's come in this is a like a teaser for cbdc's right so if cbdc's come in it means <laughs> that it can have a granular level of control at a spending level so you it is like a pre-programmed piece where you can it's not like after spending if you have done something the government will come and you know catch hold of you but if you if if the vouch if if the voucher means that you can only spend uh, at a certain place and if you try to spend it somewhere else it simply won't work so uh, let's say you um, and you you can imagine a future where all of the money can get converted into e rupee right or some form of it so what that would mean is that okay you can only spend uh, uh, 5% of your salary in luxury goods you have to spend uh, 50% of your salary over here 20% of it here so so that that becomes very restrictive and if your if your life's worth or if your value or the stuff that you do on a daily basis is so much controlled then i don't know what else is left to control right so that's that's very scary and that is another and that that's that's going at at such a pace different that you know things are the the, uh, the way we talk about it uh, you know in generally in the world in europe and otherwise things are going to play out much faster in india yeah not just because of these technological improvements but also because actually people want it it's not that the government is forcing it right so it is it is convenient and you know the way it is being done over the last few years people actually want it so the, so the there will be no social, very little social resistance um and there will be the infrastructure will be in place for it so it can it can get very scary very quickly yeah i agree with you that's very scary and i think a lot of obviously bitcoiners are very aware of this threat and obviously are trying to help those people who are willing and able to see the problem to use bitcoin as the alternative right bitcoin and lightning should you know it can replace this kind of peer to peer 
spending and cash that uh, is rapidly disappearing. And so perhaps that's part of the messaging. Maybe that's part of the way it can be spoken about and in the way that there could be talks about it at Bitcoin meetups and things like this. I'm curious in terms of when you talk to, you know, let's say other Indian people you know, what's been their response to this kind of thing? Do they just think, oh, the e-rupee is coming and it's going to be a good thing? Is that what they would say? Yeah, that's that's a general that's a general perspective. Yes, they think that it should be it will be very convenient, and uh, you know it it's not going to have any negative repercussions. Um, so there are very few people who understand the importance of privacy. Um, and uh, if you if you try to kind of join the dots with uh, with stuff like uh, you know recently VPN was banned in India, um, so that's a huge thing. You you can't use VPN. So if you really think about it everything is out there in the open um and whatever you do either on internet or through payment networks if it's completely open and if someone can you know dig the big data and find out about you they essentially know everything about you not just they know they can put controls in place for you right so without having to send uh, send you know physically send someone to you they can just simply by a click of few buttons they can just simply enforce stuff on you so it is uh, it is very interesting but very it can get very scary yeah and i see for some of this it is a future risk and so that's why a lot of people will not see this until it actually happens to them and let's say even if somebody has spent all this time building up a business or maybe buying a property and then they go to sell that property what are they going to sell it for oh e rupees and then once that money's in the e rupee system it can have all kinds of controls put on it. They could even make it expire, right? So some people, if you look at, you know, the BIS and some of these other organizations, they might see that as a good thing, right? They say, oh, well, look, we're going to have more monetary control over people. Or we can try to enforce certain economic experiments or force people to spend that money rather than hold it. And so these are some of the things that could be coming down the line. Um, so in some ways, it's about building out this Bitcoin ecosystem so that we have lightning for the day-to-day stuff and, and we have, uh, obviously, cold storage for people's life savings and where they might be using more advanced techniques like multi-signature and things like this. So uh, let's chat a little bit about what you're building. I know you're over at BitHive and um, you've got Hexa Wallet and you now recently you put out Keeper as well. So what's Keeper? Right, so so I I guess by the time um, this episode goes out, um, Keeper would be live. Uh, it would be live in an alpha, public alpha, uh, public alpha. So essentially, we want to you know build it in the open, you know, build in public, so that um, you know the quality of the product and the market fit is really top notch, right? So that's um, you know please go ahead and download it and uh, try it out first thing. And help us develop it. Now, what is Keeper? Keeper essentially is a vault, uh, which is which is uh, which is either air gapped or multisig or both, depending on the type of signing devices you use. And it is meant for holding your bitcoins over the long run, right? So uh, the vault, which is the central piece of Keeper, um, helps you helps you secure Bitcoin into this multisig piece, which can be which can be either two of three or three of five and maybe you know certain other combinations in the future and the key part of it is none of these keys are uh, uh, you know uh, generated or stored in the app they are used uh, you know signing devices like your hardware wallets or even external you know software based signing devices can be used for that multi-sig right 
so the real value of multisig is when it is multi-platform it's not like a single platform uh, it's not like only the you know five keeper apps doing a three or five multisig but it is uh, valuable really when it is multi-platform and multi-device and multi-location right so that is essentially the central piece of keeper the vault which is uh, which is based on multisig and you know in the future when we have music and music too um, that will also come in beyond this central piece now if someone wants to really if the job of keeper is to secure your bitcoin for the long run then there needs to be complementary pieces to it. it the vault itself is not enough right um, for example we uh, keeper has um, bip85 hot wallets so what that means is you can have one or many hot wallets that you are you know using it on a on a regular basis which which are hot basically which means the keys are on the phone um, and because they are bip85 based you just need to back up one seed if you want to and then uh, uh, the key part of it is that uh, whenever the threshold of uh, sats in your hot wallets processes a certain limit which you have set set in um, then there is an auto transfer that is initiated to the vault so what it means uh, uh, ideologically um, speaking is that you know use your daily spend use your use hot wallets for your regular spend in small amounts but as soon as it goes beyond a certain point put it in the cold storage right so that's one complementary uh, feature the other is around inheritance obviously so if money is there in the vault and you if bitcoin is generational wealth then you would want to securely pass it on to the next generations so that's another linked piece that uh, that works with the vault back to the show in a moment now those people who have trusted an exchange to hold their Bitcoin exposes them to risks such as exchange hacks, compromised passwords, or funds being frozen. So as always in the space, not your keys, not your coins. And Unchained Capital can help you take command and take ownership of your own Bitcoin. They can help you create a multi-signature vault where you hold two keys in different locations and Unchained hold the third key. They can help you and they can use that third key to help you as, as part of various operations. Unchained also offers Bitcoin native financial services. So they do things like potentially offer a loan against your Bitcoin. And they also offer a trading desk in various states around the US. So if you're interested in the various range of products that Unchained have, you can find all of that over at unchained.com. Are you still using a plain old block explorer? Bitcoin has grown beyond a single layer. It's now a fully fledged multi-layer ecosystem. Mempool.space is a comprehensive Bitcoin explorer covering this ecosystem. From the mempool to the blockchain to second layer networks like Liquid or the Lightning Network. Now with mempool.space, you can target the fee for your Bitcoin transactions. You can view transactions to see whether they have confirmed or not. You can host it yourself so that you don't have to trust a third party. And if you are with an enterprise, mempool.space offers custom mempool instances with your company's branding with increased API limits and more. Go find out more at mempool.space slash enterprise. And now back to the show. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, we've gone through a lot. So just to make sure everyone's following along. So the Keeper is a, an application on your phone, as an example, but you're saying you mentioned you want this to be multi-platform. So as an example, I presume you'll have it as a desktop application also or a laptop application also if you want it to be. And then the idea is we can create multi-signature vaults, multi uh, multiple keys in different locations. And Keeper is like, we can think of that like the transaction coordinating piece across all of this and it will then also build that multi-signature and 
there's this feature or it's known as registering the multi-signature quorum. So as an example, when you create a multi-signature, you also export a file out into, let's say, your cold card, as an example, or whichever other hardware device, and it then knows the public keys of the other signing devices, and then it can jointly create and operate this multi-signature wallet. And this could be in the context of a business. It could be in the context of your personal storage that you want to keep it highly secure. So that's why you're using multi-signature. So have I summarized that correctly so far? Yes, yes, you've summarized it very well. In fact, you've touched upon a very important uh, challenge that multi-sig has. Um, and that is, that is what, uh, you know, that is what uh, this registration of your wallet really does. So that, you know, um, so there's a specific attack where uh, uh, the coordinator app can change your XPUBs. So how do you ensure that these XPUBs are the XPUBs that, you know, you want to and want to make sure that uh, your sats are in? So that is where uh, this this whole process comes in. You you create the vault using, you know, XPUB from different devices. And these devices don't run the same OS. So they are multiple platforms. For example, one is cold card and one is ledger and one is completely something else. So that's the multiple platform bit. Now what happens is when you have created that XPUB, the coordinator app can easily lie to you. So if the coordinator app wants, they can say, yep, I have created the multisig and uh, this is this is your, your this is your vault go ahead use it but your real keys and the real verification can only and should only happen with the with the signing devices because that is where the private keys are and because there are multiple one might cheat but the other might not so so what registration helps you do there's a there is a step before registration as well but what the registration steps helps you do is the coordinator app tells um, the signing device that this is the vault I have created for you. Why don't you register it? And next time when I bring a PSBT to you, make sure that it uh, that it uh, complies with this particular registered multis. Right. So if uh, if the coordinator app uh, wants to cheat and uh, for a PSBT it replaces the XPUB and therefore the change address, the hardware wallet uh, or the signing device will go nope. This is not the, you know, multisig that I, that has been registered with me. So it will simply not sign the transaction. So that is where the registration step helps. Yeah. Okay. So um, there were a few other terms in there. So let's just explain just for anyone who's relatively new. When you uh, do these multi-signature transactions, there's a standard. It's known as PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transaction. And so the idea is you might use this as part of a multi-signature setup or transactions, and you might have this part signed piece that you're passing along from one to another so after the first signature now it's got one out of you know three signatures required for spending then you get to the next hardware wallet and so on and so forth and then the other feature you mentioned as well is that xpubs right so the master public key you can think of that like a master viewing key of all the um for that particular signing device right and so then the idea is that because the devices are registering the quorum and understanding who else is in that set, the cosigners, correct? Um, and then when, it's, when it goes to spend, it knows that the change that you are spending is coming back into that wallet, as an example, because that was historically a vulnerability. Now, a lot of the ecosystem has improved and gotten better since those days, but there were bugs found, as an example, where you know a hardware device would sign a transaction and think the change 
you know, or it didn't have a change check, and then the change would just go to somebody else, right? Or that could be the hacker, the malicious person, etc. So could you just outline in terms of um, hardware support, what devices are you supporting here with Keeper? And what's the main way? Like, is it NFC? Is it micro SD card? Is it, you know, USB plugging? What, what are the main ways that we're interfacing here? Absolutely. So when when it uh, gets out, uh, you know, this week, um, essentially, it will have support for cold card, ledger and app signer. But we are working with all the other signing devices, all the other, other hardware wallets, Trezor, Seed Signer, uh, Bitbox, Keystone, everything, Cobo Vault, uh, all of them, because a Jade Wallet, um, because, um, you know, everyone, first of all, all these signing devices are slightly different. Some are, you know, fully verifying, like uh, a cold card, while some are uh, uh, like a blind signer, like a tap signer. So there is a, uh, when you are configuring a vault, um, it depends on your personal needs, what kind of security guarantees you want and what kind of uh, what kind of convenience you want. So these signing devices don't just offer you a very standard way of signing, but they do offer you a slightly different trade-off between security and convenience. Right? And even the cost is a factor. Some some devices are costlier than the other. So our aim is to be able to support all the signing devices, all the hardware wallets, and even uh, you know have some software-based signing devices, maybe like another wallet or maybe another Keeper app, that kind of stuff. Um, even there is one more signing device, which is called a signing server. So you can have like a, a signing server uh, where it signs one of the keys, can be with the signing server, and it signs only when you give it a you know 2fa code or some kind of an some kind of verification so this gives you a really good list of signing devices which you can configure the way you want um so that's about the support how we are communicating because uh, because uh, keeper is uh, mobile first and most of the people honestly are going to use uh, mobile for you know most of their things right not just in india many countries so um so most of the communication uh, starts off with uh, interacting with the hardware wallet either through nfc or bluetooth or qr code we do have plans to support wired wired uh, you know wired way of communication as well but the way uh, the keeper app encourages you and the way the backlog is structured we are focusing first on the ones where you don't need an intermediate step you don't really need a computer in between so that's uh, that's how the you know communication with different sign and honestly all the signing devices now support uh, a way of um, you know communicating with your app directly most of them if not all so we have leapfrogged that step and we are focusing directly on nfcs and bluetooths and qr codes i see yeah so to summarize then we've got nfc support which is a new thing that i think um is interesting to see right i know uh coin kite with the cold card and the tap signer are really trying to push forward nfc support so that's cool to see um you have the qr code which is also another air gapped way and a lot of the um uh, there are various hardware devices that support that kind of thing, right? Like Seed Signer or um, Keystone or uh, Spectre DIY. So that'll be interesting to see that also. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned Bluetooth and uh, who knows with micro SD or other methods. In terms of the target market for this application, are we talking here about advanced users, intermediate users? Who's the who's the target for this? Who's the user for this kind of application? Absolutely. So one thing we are clear about is that uh, though Hexa, Hexa, the way Hexa was built and the market fit for, for Hexa is more around uh, newcomers who might have like $50 on their wallet 
and uh, they want to uh, you know just experiment with bitcoin learn about it maybe they have downloaded hexa because they you know got a gift link or an fnf link from a friends and family and this is their first wallet keeper is not going to be the first wallet for most people right keeper is a wallet where where the user has a um, certain amount of bitcoin and there they are um, serious towards making sure that that uh, their bitcoin is secure for the longer term so from a convenience point of view vault is obviously not as convenient to use as a, as an account in exa wallet right and that is the uh, intended trade off um, that multisig gives you and uh, what keeper takes so keeper is more for yeah. coming back to your specific question keeper is more for people who are serious about the bitcoin who who want to you know store it for the long run yeah and one other question i'm sure listeners will be interested in in terms of the server or the back end are people able to use their own so a common concern is around privacy and also being the one doing your own validation your own verification um so is there a feature to let's say connect with your own bitcoin core node either potentially over rpc or tor or to connect to your own electrum server so the likes of electrum rust server electrum x or fulcrum uh, what's the um, thinking there? Yeah, see, one of the clear things, you know, if you see the tagline, it says your private Bitcoin vault. So the private part is is where we don't want to know what you're doing with your Bitcoin as much as possible. So that includes stuff like you do not have to register with us. You don't have to provide an email address. There's no registration needed. So you can keep your data to yourself. Uh, yes, you can connect your own node. Uh, we have, we already had this feature in Exa. It, should, it will also be there in Keeper. So you should be able to connect your own node. There's no reason as a coordinator app that we need to be running the node. So you should be able to run your, your own node. And Tor is even available now. So if you download even the alpha version, you should be able to connect uh, via Tor. So, you know, the pri- privacy preserving part, uh, we have taken it very seriously. Yeah, that's great to hear, see. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, this wallet is more for the advanced users anyway. So chances are they're more likely or capable to be able to run their own infrastructure, whether that's their own Bitcoin core or their own Electrum server. And nowadays, it's a lot easier, especially with these packages like Raspberry Blitz and so on that uh, make it easy to run your own server so they can have an easy connect your wallet dialogue or interface there so that's cool to see see um see, i still think there is uh, there's one thing i would like to go back to yeah sure because um the story is not complete without that so when we spoke about uh, registration of wallets um registration of multisig wallets or vault with um, hardware signers and the challenges around there one thing i want to make it clear is that we understand um, and uh, we are building towards it that simply registering particular vault with a signing server might not be enough okay let me explain that what could happen is that a coordinator app might actually even fake the registration process so when you are registering with cold card it might give the cold card its own xpub but the other two xpub or the other four xpub it might change right always possible so uh, it so making sure that the registration is successful is also a very key component of making sure that it is you know as secure as possible so that is why um, what we want to encourage people when they're using keeper is uh, is basically not just completely depend on one signing device which is fully verifying and the keeper app but do test transactions check for the wallet configuration or the multisig configuration not just on your cold card maybe another wallet another signing device so that you can see that the 5 xpubs that keeper is communicating 
those are, those are exactly five, uh, you know, at least right across the two different uh, signing devices. So what that would mean is you're not trusting a single source. Otherwise, it is very easy for the coordinating app even to fake the registration, right? So we are trying, we are building those, you know, messaging. And yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So we are, we are trying to build that. We understand that. Uh, we are trying to build that, uh, build that, you know, build that encouragement for the user inside the wallet. We are providing them there with any, with all the information that what is a fully, uh, fully verifying, verifying signing wallet, what is a partially verifying signing wallet, what is a blind signing wallet, and what is a hot uh, signing, uh, sorry, signing device, right? So there are different types of signing devices, and depending on, like I said, uh, if you really are storing millions it is worth that you use most of your devices as uh, you know fully verifying signing devices so that you don't have to trust either a signing device or the coordinator app so there are different attack vectors the change yeah. address like we discussed is one um, but even the you know there are other steps which uh, we are aware of and we are building towards so just wanted to complete that story otherwise yeah. if someone listens to only that part they'll say oh by the way uh, the registration can be faked. So why didn't you talk about that? So this is really the full picture. Yeah, right. And and in fairness, I know some of the guides, even my friend Michael Flaxman has his guide, the, um, the his 10X, your Bitcoin security guide. I contribute a little bit on that. But as part of that guide, it also talks about verifying um, various aspects. So you would check, let's say, uh, when you are registering the quorum, you might be checking what is what are the other XPUBs in this quorum. So, for example, on the cold card, you can read those other XPUBs. You can see those other XPUBs and you can compare those. And let's say you're doing the Keystone as another device. On the Keystone, you can see, oh, what are the other XPUBs inside this quorum that I'm registering? And another way this kind of thing can be caught as well is when you validate the receive address. So, as an example, in the cold card, there's a little me um, menu. You can go in there and see on the device ah oh, okay it's going to this address xyz whatever and you could also check that on another ad on another device so let's say on the keystone or some other device where you're checking ah oh, yes this receive address is correctly what the device is saying that's another way you can help stop this kind of um error because that's also one of the ways people can get pwned is by not checking their receive address right because they think they've given the correct address but actually you know, and so they're about to give this address to somebody else to receive some coins into it. And this could be a large transaction. And unfortunately, if the hacker or the attacker has somehow switched that address at some point in the process, this user, completely unbeknownst to them, is giving the wrong address to somebody else to pay them. And so that's another, you know, vector yeah. for attack. And so you can't, you can't, well uh, the receive out. address, you can't even like, so if you're looking on, on the coordinator app, and you're looking on the hardware device, hardware signing uh, device, you, they might, you might see the same address, but what if it is switched before that, right? Right. So that is, that so is why- So you get the right at the, at the setup point. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, setup point, in fact, there's one advanced step you can do if you're really, really serious is you use the same set of keys to create a, you know, a multisig on another platform, on another coordinating app, right? For example, a Spectre or a Sparrow. And if you see the same receive, and all of them have like a, you know, list of receiving addresses that you can see, you can see a list of change addresses. If you see the same list across, then you know that definitely these two coordinating apps are not really, you know, uh, you know, 
cheating you the same way. There's, some, there's, an or, there's a problem with one of them, right? So you would exactly. check that or exactly. you would make sure that it's using the exactly. same, or it could be some innocent error, like it's using some different derivation path, but you, you'd still want to check that, right? Yes. So yes. Um, yeah, that's a worthwhile call out for listeners who are playing around. Obviously, this is early days, so you know, be wary with what you're doing. Uh, but you know, every wallet has to go through that process where it's it's new at some point. Every wallet was new at some point. It just happens that you know some wallets like Electrum were new in 2011, and others like Keeper are new in 2022. So it takes time. Um, so one other topic we need to hit is Bitcoin for India. So this is a project I've seen. Uh, it's a community project and an effort, and we've got this conference coming up. So. Mm. Tell us a little bit about Bitcoin for India and the conference coming up. So, like I said, Bitcoin for India was this platform is just a just a Twitter link and a and a meetup page where people come and list their meetups um, and a bunch of people who know each other, right? So it's just a uh, that's how it started, and the meetups were you know so well received and people loved them so much that. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of suggestions came in. Is why don't we do a like a mega meetup, like a mini conference, right? And that is where the whole concept of conference was, uh, you know, grew. And uh, um, it wasn't as simple as we initially thought. Um, but uh, the credit should not really go to me. But there are a lot of volunteers who actually worked on it and made um, the conference possible. Uh, you have interacted with most of them. I wouldn't try, like to call them out because if I do, I'm sure. I'll miss some of them. So it wouldn't be fair for me to, you know, take some names and not take other names. But but one thing I want to repeat is, is like, like uh, you know, the trade shouldn't go to me, but more for the volunteers. This conference is in Goa on the 5th and 6th of November, um, which is in probably two weeks time. And when this episode goes out, maybe in a week's time. And uh, we are anticipating somewhere between 200 and 500 people. Um, in that conference so uh, that is a testament to bitcoin only in india when we did some of the first few meetups actually people from different parts of india traveled because there were no bitcoin only meetups in their part of the part of the country so uh, so the same thing is happening here people from all across india and outside as well are traveling in to attend this conference we are going to have two amazing days um, there are two pal- parallel tracks, uh, like typically it is. One is a technical track and one is a non-technical track. And uh, the schedule is out there. Um, a lot of information, people who are speaking, including yourself, are listed on the website. So, um, so yeah, we are very excited about it. And uh, it will be live streamed uh, mm-hmm. with Bitcoin Magazine. So most of the people who are not able to attend it should be able to um, to see and should be able to, you know, you know, have a conversation with the Indian Bitcoiners. When we go there, one of the one of the aims of uh, of uh, of people who are doing this is to be able to meet other Bitcoiners, right? Because uh, sometimes what what happens is when you are into Bitcoin, you find yourself alone. You think you know you are the crazy one, and there's no one in the town who uh, understands Bitcoin. And suddenly you go to a meetup, and you find ten other people talking crazy shit like you are. Um, you feel you feel much better. So that's what the conference will do to many Bitcoiners in India. They, they, it will basically tell them that, you know, you're not the only one. Um, there are a lot out like you who think, you know, uh, very, uh, although uh, you know that in Bitcoin, there's no single thought. Uh, people have very differing opinions, but at least uh, there's common ground when it comes to Bitcoin and its importance and its impact on the world. 
so probably uh, yeah expecting a lot uh, of good things coming out of that meetup um, the conference yeah and I, look i think it's a good thing to see the bitcoin only group and scene meetup growing over time this is the first one in india and i'm sure it's it's just the start of something much bigger so what you might find is that the first attendees of this first one they go on to either start up their own meetup groups in their own cities and then you come back around in next year and two years time and three years time from now by the time you get to that stage it's going to be so much larger and so i think it's partly laying down that groundwork to get people connected and get them to know each other and sort of understand oh hey he's he's a guy from that city and he's a person from that city and also just to sort of plant down the flag of bitcoin only in the country so I, i'm i'm excited to, for this um so people make sure you check it out the website is conference.bitcoin4 bitcoin4 the number bitcoin4india.org links will be in the show notes of course so yeah i'm looking forward to that and i guess just as a final question anant if you could change how Indians think about Bitcoin, what one thing, if you could tell them one thing, what would you tell them? I think don't trust verify is very important uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. People have started trusting institutions and uh, it's on that uh, slippery slope where you trust someone good enough for long enough so that it is good for you. But then suddenly a line is crossed and uh, it's it's not not really what you had initially thought of. So, people in their daily life and you know in in the rat race they are in and especially in countries like india where people work really hard they have to work really hard right they don't really stop think and try to trust and verify things for themselves right so being able to think for your own and trying to really think about okay what what this upi means what, are there any implications of that what are, what are some of the other people saying what what does bitcoin really offer so stopping thinking and you know thinking for yourself and verifying instead of just listening to you know news headlines is one thing i would encourage uh, all indians to do a little more of essentially fantastic well thanks for joining me today and uh, yeah listeners check it out all the links will be in the show notes anant uh, maybe what's the one best spot for people to find you so i am on twitter uh, not not super active but i'm there um, anant_tap so that's a n a n t underscore t a p and the link will be in the show notes keeper is the new app again the link will be in the show notes and uh, yeah looking forward for a lot of you to you know be at the conference or connect uh, through the platform and uh, on the product side uh, try out the keeper app fantastic thank you bye okay cheers stefan get the show notes at stefanlevera.com/429 thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels